Hi and welcome to the Girl Next Door podcast. I'm your host Renee Bennett and this is a leadership podcast for ordinary girls compelled to lead an extraordinary life. Make sure you come and find me on social media, girlnextdoor.podcast. Hey guys, welcome to Girl Next Door. Happy Wednesday, happy December, happy almost Christmas. Can you believe that it is almost Christmas? How is your Christmas shopping going? I'm very disgusted with myself. I have literally done zero Christmas shopping. I used to be a person that would do it way back in July. I don't know what's happened. Anyway, podcast, that's what's happened. Too much to do. Hey, um, I'm going to get right into today. So much to cover. So little time. Um, this is the beginning of a, well, I guess last week was kind of the beginning of a transgender collection. Today being an episode uh, where we ask the question, why suddenly teenage girls? Um, I announced last week that I have just launched our very first book club um, and it's gathered quite the interest on um, social media, on Facebook and quite a little community. It's not too late to join um, and there's no pressure. You can just come along whenever you want to. And the book we are studying is the basis of this next um, collection. I'm not sure how many episodes I'm going to do because I do want to have a bit of a break over Christmas, New Year. Uh, give you guys a chance to catch up on all things Girl Next Door if you are behind on any episodes. Um, so anyway, the book we're studying is the basis of this collection, but you don't actually have to read the book if you don't want to. If you're really serious about it, please do. Please grab it. Please come join me on the Facebook page because it's not too late. Um, but if you don't want to, um, these next few episodes are still going to make sense regardless. So my aim in this series is not to judge anyone, not to make anyone feel uncomfortable, um, and it's certainly, I don't want you to think that I'm assuming that I know what it is like to struggle with feeling uncomfortable in my own body. Obviously, the issue that we're talking about is transgender. Um, I am not an expert in transgender, but I am when it comes to teenagers. So as you know by now, those of you that have been listening along, I've been working closely with them and young adults for the past 25 years. So, you know, that's given me a lot of insight into what I have observed over a few decades. So this collection is about asking questions because I have lots of questions and I know that you have lots of questions and others have asked me the same questions that I have. It's about being allowed to have the conversation without being called, you know, bigoted or homophobic because, you know, if you guys knew me, you would know that I'm neither of those. But I have watched a trend slowly rising um, of things like people declaring their pronouns on their social media. Uh, of youth pastors asking me what to do with a young person who wants to come to camp and they're a girl who now identify as a boy and what dorm do I put them to sleep in? As a teacher, I have watched a primary school student who truly struggled with their given gender and whose parents were two of the most down-to-earth beautiful people you could ever meet and they as a family and we as a school did our best to help this student navigate that. But mostly I'm watching social media and the media forming a young generation's worldview where tolerance is becoming increasingly intolerant if we dare to ask the question, 
what is happening to our young people. So I'm using the book Irreversible Damage, The Transgender Craze Seducing Our Daughters to help guide our conversation. And um, I'm going to go through it in the same kind of order as what the book goes, and I'm going to break it all down. But I just wanted to start off with why I chose this book, other than all the things I just said above. Um, But for a book that was so-called cancelled for a while in America, Target refused to stock it for a while, but then reversed their decision. Um, This book had backing, praise and endorsements from really high caliber people in all sorts of fields, some of whom I've admired for quite a long time. So people like New York Post columnists, people like Dennis Prager, who's the founder of PragerU, which, by the way, has millions of views, hundreds of thousands of subscribers of their videos on YouTube. Um, it, it was backed and endorsed by uh, research fellows um, at Stanford University, um, adolescent and child psychologists such as Kenneth Zucker, Zucker, however you say it, professors of psychology, so many really reputable people that put a forward together and and an an endorsement of this book. And also because in 25 years of ministry and 10 of those in teaching in the education sector, I know from firsthand experience that this issue of transgender and gender identity is affecting a new generation that it never has affected previously. Um, We work with young people because we love young people and we hate to see them in pain. But I want to know if allowing them, agreeing with them, transitioning to another gender really is going to solve their pain. I want to know why previously I've dealt with girls with anorexia, girls with bulimia, girls who self-harmed, girls with anxiety and depression. But only recently have I been dealing with girls who are wanting to transition their identity. And I think we need to talk about this with compassion, with love, but also with truth, with honesty, um, because I will never agree to something if I don't think that it's in the best interest of our young girls. Even if everyone else, everywhere I turn, from politicians to teachers to the medical industry and certainly social media is telling me that I must agree, um, but I wonder are they afraid of being cancelled themselves? Because why is asking the question of what is going on irresponsible? I actually think it's irresponsible not to ask the question. Um, You know, we are deciding to irreversibly change the lives of these young girls. And I think we need to be asking if it's the best thing for them. So the plan is that I'm reading this book along with a community of people. Like I said, it's not too late to join. Come and request to join on the girl, not the, drop the word the, it's just Girl Next Door Book Club. Um, There's also a link on my Instagram bio straight to the book club. And like I said, the book is divided into 11 chapters with an intro. So we're going to today look at the intro in chapter one, and then we'll see how we go from there. All right, so let's get into it. So the other day I was watching a 
Charlie Kirk video on Instagram. He's um, he's a very big conservative political commentator in America. Um, but I was watching a video where he was on a college campus in America because that's what he does. He uh, he began Turning Point USA, which goes and takes conservative values into college campuses in America. And the conversation that unfolded on Instagram really, I thought, represented the two sides of this whole gender argument right now. So he asked these girls how many genders there are. And this one particular girl said to him, well, you know, there are so many. And she went on to say that, you know, sixth grade science teaches us that there are only two genders, but then we move on and we learn that there are hundreds of different categories of genders. So straight away, you know, Charlie Kirk says to this girl, oh, okay, so does what we learn in sixth grade become less true as we get older? Like, you know, does gravity become less true as we get older? And the girl continued to say, no, it's a basic building block that there are two genders. And then we learn that there are hundreds of different categories that differentiate between these just two genders. And she goes on to say that this is fact and Charlie obviously doesn't believe in the facts. Now, Charlie agreed, yes, these are the facts, but the scientific facts are that there's an XX and an XY chromosome chromosomes and that determines whether you're male or female. So she keeps on going that you can ask any biologist and any scientist and they will tell you that there's hundreds of options. So he continues to hold the line and say, well, no, there's XX and XY. So what other chromosome options are there? Please let me know as if there's something that I haven't learned. So she then goes on to make the point that, well, you can be whatever you feel. And that right there is kind of where it's at. It's not so much that they are peddling scientific fact. There is no scientific fact to back this. The scientific fact says there's XX and XY chromosome that determines whether you're male or female. So really, it comes down to what you feel. And so she then goes on to say, you've got no idea how this works, Charlie. And he continues, there are two predominant categories. I get it. So how else does it break down after this? And the girl went on to say, well, it's whatever you self-identify as. Therefore, she can't really give him a number. Then she goes on to call him a fascist because he believes that there are only two genders and he's not being faithful to what the science is telling him. And now he's being oppressive. So you can see this is one example on social media of why people are too scared to maybe ask the question uh, like Charlie Kirk was asking, because we're afraid that we're going to be accused of not understanding real science or of being, you know, a fascist or being oppressive or being non-tolerant just by asking basic questions that really have made sense to all of us to anybody with common sense when you look at the science. But here is the difference in ideologies, and this is where the main difference lies. Young people are being told that their biology starts in their mind, that their biology is what they feel and what they identify with in their mind. Whereas what we've been taught for however many hundreds of years 
um, is being thrown completely out the window, which is also what the Bible teaches us, which I will go into later, which is that our biology actually determines our gender, not what we think in our mind. It's our biology that determines our gender, not our mind. And that's the difference in ideologies. So let's have a look at the author of this book. Her name is Abigail Abigail Schreier. And I just wanted to let you know who she is. Um, she was educated at several universities in America, and she currently is a journalist for the Wall Street Journal. Um, and she's also been subject to a huge campaign of censorship because of this book. And The Economist has described the book as the first book-length study of a fascinating phenomenon which has been widely ignored. So she's not an investigative journalist either. She's usually an opinion writer. She's also married and she's got um, some young kids of her own. So how on earth did she come to write this book that was cancelled? People have tried to censor it. Um, How did she come to write this? So I'll give you a quick bit of a background. She wrote a piece about how in America, the government can't make people say things, not even for the sake of politeness. In fact, not for any reason. So she wrote an article called The Transgender Language War, and it appeared in the Wall Street Journal. And a mother of a transgender girl who is also a lawyer saw her article and asked Shreya, could you please write about this more? And she talked about how her daughter had discovered this identity, um, wanted to transition. She got her information from the internet where there's an endless array of transgender mentors teaching these young girls what to wear, how to walk, what to say. Um, You know, that companies that sell things like breast binders um, send them to these kids so that the parents don't find out how doctors are being persuaded to supply hormones to these young people and how to deceive their parents. Can you please write more about this? But Shreya obviously was like, no, I'm an opinion writer. I'm not an investigator investigative reporter. So she passed it on to another journalist, but she just couldn't forget about it. So she started speaking with physicians, psychiatrists, world-renowned psychologists, psychotherapists, transgender teens, transgender adults, and also desisters. So people that once were trans that um, stopped being trans. And she then wrote another piece called When Your Daughter Defies Biology. And that response absolutely blew up. She was flooded with emails, both for and against um, what she had written. And she listened to all of them, including the transgender activists. And the response that she received formed the basis of this book. So this book, I want to clarify, and the next couple of podcasts is about transgender teenagers, particularly girls, not transgender adults. All right. So I want to really make that clear that this is about young girls, teenage girls. So let's start with this whole idea of gender dysphoria, which Shreya um, talks about in her book. Now, normally gender dysphoria is characterized by a severe and persistent 
discomfort in one's biological body. And this is what usually leads to people transitioning when they're older. But it typically begins in early childhood, usually as early as the ages of two to four, although it can grow more severe in adolescence. But in nearly 70% of cases, historically, childhood gender dysphoria resolves itself. So if you just leave the child 70% of the time, they, you know, grow out of it and it just resolves. Now, historically, it's only afflicted a really tiny part of the population. We are talking 0.01%. And historically, it's affected almost exclusively boys. And before 2012, there was no scientific literature on girls ages between about 11 to 21 ever having developed gender dysphoria at all. Okay, so before 2012, no girls or there's no scientific literature to show that there were any girls between the ages 11 and 21 that all of a sudden developed gender dysphoria, nothing. But in the last decade, this has changed dramatically. The Western world has seen sudden surges of adolescents claiming to have gender dysphoria. Okay, so not your typical gender dysphoria that begins in childhood, rapid onset gender dysphoria, and self identifying as transgender. And for the first time in medical history, natal girls are not only present among them, but making up the majority. And remember before I said that historically gender dysphoria was almost exclusively, um, well, not exclusively, but the majority was found amongst boys. But now we're finding for the first time in history, it's happening in um, teenage girls, 11 to 21, and mostly girls are making up the majority, not boys. Okay. So this is the big question. Why? What happened? How did an age group that had been the minority come to all of a sudden be the majority? And not only an age group that came to be the majority, but why did the sex ratio flip? It went from being overwhelmingly boys who suffered with gender dysphoria to the majority being adolescent girls. That is the question. That is the reason that she wrote this book. That is the reason we are having this conversation, okay? So her first part of her book, she introduces us to something called the contagion. So she's attempting to answer these questions. Why all of a sudden has transgender uh, movement just exploded amongst teenage girls? So a contagion is the spreading of a harmful idea or practice, So she actually begins, a lot of her book has stories of real people that she obviously changes their names. And she begins with the story of this girl called Lucy, who was described by her parents as really girly girly and loved heels and frilly dresses. And anyway, one thing led to another and she um, went from anxiety to depression, um, didn't fit in with the girls at school. And before you know it, by the time she's going to her first few years of surgery, she's decided that she's going to change identities and that she wants to be a male. Um, Now, Shreya makes the observation that transgender adults, which this book is not about, but she interviewed many of them for the book, have a very different story to these young adolescent girls. The feeling of being in the wrong body 
when it comes to the adults that transition in their adult years, the feeling of being in the wrong body has dogged them their whole lives. Their dysphoria never made them popular. In fact, the opposite was true. It was actually a source of unease and embarrassment. Um, They, majority of them, grew up never knowing another trans person. The internet didn't exist to give them mentors and influences, um, and they didn't want this life anyway. Uh, but they didn't seek to be celebrated. They wanted to pass on all that. And in many cases, they just wanted to be left alone. And that's what they told Shreya over and over again. They actually have very little to do with the current trans epidemic that's plaguing teenage girls. So we're not talking about the trans adults. We are talking about this epidemic that all of a sudden is plaguing our adolescent girls. Now, one of the most significant observations that Schreier makes in the introduction is that every century, a different contagion plagued teenage girls. Remember what a contagion is. It's the spreading of a harmful idea or practice. So she talks about, um, you know, there's real pain for teenage girls. Their distress, no matter the century they find themselves in, is real, But the way that they deal with it is different in each century. And this has been going on for hundreds of years. Now, I don't have time to go into the details. So feel free to either jump on my Facebook page where I've got more detail about this or go do your own research. But in the 17th century, you've got the infamous Salem witch trials where basically there was a group of young girls in a village in Massachusetts who claimed to be possessed by the devil. And the reason it started was a nine-year-old and an 11-year-old girl started having fits, including violent contortions and uncontrollable outbursts of screaming. And then this local doctor diagnosed bewitchment. And then other girls in the community began to exhibit similar symptoms. Now, a wave of hysteria spread throughout Massachusetts, and there were these trials where they basically accused all these people of being witches, and people were actually hung at the gallows for it until finally um, it all calmed down. People began to kind of think this is, you know, um, that there was something wrong here, that hysteria began to abate, and public opinion turned against the trials, okay? So that's one example. 18th century was plagued by nervous disorders. So all of a sudden we had the rise of, you know, nervous disorders where people would have to, you know, women would go to bed um, because their nerves weren't coping and they'd have bed rest. And the 19th century, there was the neurasthenia epidemic, um, which was basically symptoms of headaches, muscle pain, weight loss, irritability, anxiety, depression, lack of ambition, insomnia, and um, basically these age-old problems of happiness and comfort were for the first time ever medicalized. And then the 20th century, we move into, um, you know, the popular kind of thing, I guess, was anorexia, repressed memories, bulimia, and um, cutting. That's been one of the more kind of recent ones. And Schreier makes the point that the one protagonist that has led all of these these things throughout history has always been the adolescent girl. Now, according to psychology today, most and often all of those affected by the different plagues of our centuries are females. 
In fact, over 2,000 cases on file, which date back to 1566, this pattern holds true over 99% of the time. So she's making the point that, you know, three decades ago, these girls that are now hankering to transition their gender, if they lived three decades ago, they might have instead suffered an eating disorder. Two decades ago, they might have discovered a repressed memory of childhood. And a decade ago, or even five years ago, it was self-harming through things like cutting. So transgender success stories are everywhere when it comes to adults, but the phenomenon sweeping our teenage girls is different. And that's one of the huge points that Shreya makes in her book. Um, So she's saying that um, gender, traditional gender dysphoria, that this latest epidemic is not coming from or originating in traditional gender dysphoria, but the instigator, instead of being true gender dysphoria, it seems to be videos found on the internet, um, a group of girls influencing one another to all kind of transition together, where the thrill of their deepest need seems to be met, which is acceptance. And here we are cheering on teenage girls with no history of dysphoria who are steeping themselves in a radical gender ideology that's taught in school or found on the internet And we have their peers and therapists and teachers, and in some cases, the medical industry and the internet are flagging them as heroes and egging them on. You know, even this week, I was talking to a friend of mine who's a teacher, and she was telling me about a student at her school that has decided to transition and change their pronouns, and the parents don't know. And this girl has self-diagnosed because this is one of the things um, that seems to be um, consistent with this new epidemic is that it's um, a lot of them are self-diagnosing. And the teacher that she spoke to is now telling all the other teachers what they must do, that they must now call this person, this student by another name, that they must change the pronouns, but not in front of the parents, which is so incredibly deceptive. Guys, do you know, as a teacher myself and as a parent, do you know you cannot even give your kids at a school, you cannot give them Panadol without parental consent? If I send my kid on a camp, I'm not allowed to put Panadol or Nurofen in their bag. I have to have a pharmaceutical label on it and I have to send it with a note to the teacher to administer if my child has a headache. And yet here we are allowing the same age of children, of young girls, who are not allowed to take Panadol or Nurofen on a camp without permission to actually decide to transition their gender without so much as a doctor's appointment, without their parents knowing, through them self-identifying. And my question is, what is the cost? We're not just talking about a tattoo here. We're not just talking about something that can easily be reversed. Um, And, you know, it's true that a small portion of the population will always be transgender, but is this a current craze that's going to pass with time? Okay, so let's look at these girls. The next chapter that Abigail Schreier um, has written is about the actual girls themselves. And she talks a lot about the adolescents of today are 
having fewer and fewer in-person contact and relationships. Now, this is a thought completely backed by a couple of different researchers that I've read their books. For example, Claire Madden, who's an Australian researcher with a fantastic book called Hello Gen Z. There's another lady called Jean Twenge from America, who's an academic um, psychologist. And they're all saying the same thing, that the comforts that my generation of girls had, where we could get comfort from person to person where we could talk together in a group, laugh together, cry together, um, that's no longer available to this generation. Up until the mass introduction of social media from about 2012, relationships were conducted in person, but now they're conducted over technology. And our young girls are lonely. We need to note that teenage girls today are in a lot of pain. And We are actually in the midst of, and I know that you know this, um, we're in the midst of a mental health crisis when it comes to our young people. There's an academic psychologist called Jonathan Haidt, H-A-I-D-T, and he was interviewed recently on the Joe Rogan podcast, and he said that there are, are record levels of anxiety and depression amongst young girls. Now, maybe you would say, well, no, the levels haven't gone up. People are just reporting it more. But the average rates of self-harm reflect exactly the same spike. So amongst preteen girls, we're talking 10 to 14-year-olds, a spike of 189% since 2010 is what we're looking at when it comes to self-harm. So Joe Rogan asked Jonathan Haid why the sudden spike, and he literally just looked at him and he said two words, social media. Now, according to Twenge, who I mentioned before, the author of a book called iGen with this really long subtitle that I've forgotten, but I've got it on my shelf, who is an academic psychologist and an expert on Generation Z, she says it is not an exaggeration to describe iGen as being on the brink of the worst mental health crisis in decades, and that a lot of the deterioration can again be traced to their iPhones. They have Tumblr, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, um, you know, and and they've got access to a a wide array of visual tutorials or picture inspo when it comes to self-harm and cutting and, and now how to transition your gender. And it seems like the more you post your afflictions, and I've seen this myself, the more you post your affliction on social media... Uh, the more chance you have to win hundred or even thousands of followers and likes. Now, years ago, when I was growing up, the ideal beauty, um, the ideal beauty previously was taken from a few girls in your class. You know, where there was only a few girls that you would think, yeah, they're really truly beautiful. But we knew that even they weren't perfect because we witnessed them in person. But now, a lot of young people and a lot of their friends are on social media and they're people that they've never actually met in person and they've never actually seen them. And so these people seem much more perfect. And so we have this beauty standard that no real girl can meet. Teenage girls who historically faced life's challenges in pairs and groups are now facing them alone with their iPhones in their bedrooms. Now add to this We have a generation who are risk adverse and like to feel safe. And again, if you want to hear more on that, go and get these books by Jean Twenge and Claire Madden. 
Um, but we have a generation who like to feel safe and we have the lowest, for example, percentages in decades of school students who have driver's licenses. They're protected, even coddled, safer than ever physically and yet vulnerable more than ever mentally and emotionally they're more immature than the previous generation. And again, even as a teacher, I see this. The number of things over the years that have increasingly been banned, that our kids can't play this. They took the monkey bars away. Then they took away the, you know, some of the climbing things where they'd have to climb too high. And and then we started having at our school things like green zones, where in the morning, the kids weren't even allowed to run around in case they hurt themselves. They had to sit down behind the green line. We are making our young people so risk adverse and so safe. So many of the teen girls are falling for the transgender movement. And this is something that Shreya very interestingly notes from her research is that she's saying that the majority of them lead upper to middle class Gen Z lives. They're often excellent students. They're very agreeable. They've never previously had a bent for rebellion. A lot of them have never even smoked or um, they're not drinkers. And a lot of them have also never been sexually active. And yet here we find them anxious, depressed, awkward, and afraid. And they feel that very huge gap between who they are and the glamorous women on their social media accounts. Their lives are being lived in their rooms, on their phones, instead of hanging out in shopping centers or taking road trips. We've got young girls who are so used to feeling safe and are not being pushed past comfort levels, you know, less we risk their mental health. Then throw in the uncomfortable, awkward, up and down hormone years of puberty But our girls have been so protected and kept away from the uncomfortable and the difficult. Now, we all know that puberty is a trial for anyone, but even more so for girls. And the stress brought on by puberty has been happening since forever. But don't you find it interesting that puberty is also when today's transgender craze amongst girls is typically taking hold? The stress of puberty is age old. It's not new. But what is new is the teenager's ability to bear the discomfort because we have protected them from ever being uncomfortable. Add to that a young generation who love quick fixes and the whole process of puberty is not quick, it's the long haul. Then we add in what we're beginning to teach them in school. So can you see the environment that we're creating for our young girls? Do you remember the Safer Schools program that was introduced here a couple of years ago in Australia? It was supposed to be an anti-bullying program that was being pushed in every state by almost every government in Australia, but it really didn't have anything to do with general schoolyard bullying, but instead it had an agenda to push a new ideology of gender identity and fluidity. They were being taught that gender identity is not found in our biology, but instead in our brain. And this is being taught, or it was being taught in schools. I know here in Queensland, um, I've looked into this. Firstly, they wouldn't release the names. 
of the schools where this was being, uh, this program was being outworked. Then they said that when the funding ran out, that they would no longer um, push this in schools. But instead, what they did was they turned it into a respectful. I think it's called respectful relationships or something like that. The four R's. So they they, I find it a little bit deceptive what they've done here in Queensland. They've just changed the name of it. Um, so students in our primary schools even here in Australia, some are being taught some of this safer schools kind of program. Now, at the same time that this ideology is coming through our schools, you've got, depending on the state, but here in Queensland, RE or religious education, which I used to teach in our state school a few years ago, that went from being opt out, like where all the kids joined in and a parent would have to write a note for them to opt out. Now, instead, it's reversed because people in the state fought it and it's opt in instead. So in other words, you have to go to the lengths of writing a letter and giving your permission to allow your student now in to religious education. You've got things like, you know, the tomboy doesn't exist anymore. Instead, we're told that there's an endless list of sexual and gender identities. Go and Google it for yourself. Google this. What are the different gender identities? Even the internet can't agree. We're told um, like it's fact that there's 64 and then on another website, there's only seven. Then on this website, no, it's 76. You know, and then they start listing them, agender, binary, bigender, cisgender, non-gender, genderqueer, transsexual, transgender, third gender, and on and on and on. So teens are being asked to identify themselves on a gender spectrum long before they've ever finished their sexual development and before they've even experienced romance. In fact, a a prominent gay writer, Julia D. Robertson, told Schreier that the new idea is that lesbians don't exist, but that girls with more masculine presentations are now really boys. So even the whole lesbian thought there, you know, is changing, that that doesn't exist, that those masculine girls are actually boys. It's far more cachet right now to come out as trans rather than lesbian, And of course, we know, and I've talked about this on another podcast, that what young girls crave more than anything is identity. Um, So go back to my, I think it was called the dangers of explicit posting on social media or something like that. But they're driven by wanting to know their identity and acceptance. And all of a sudden, when a young girl has this option to reinvent themselves, to become the edgy trans kid that's showered with affirmation likes and emojis on Instagram well that looks really attractive they get the attention they get loads of it and they're cheered on and of course you've got young girls who are on their phones for up to nine hours a day and on the internet they can find plenty of influences which I'm going to talk about um in the next episode. Now, one of the latest that you might've heard about is an actress formerly known as Ellen Page, who now has changed her name just this month and transgendered to Elliot Page. Now she's been well known from movies like Juno, Inception, X-Files. You might know her from the Netflix series, The Umbrella Academy. She came out as gay in 2014, and now December of 2020, she's come out trans and wanted people to know that she wasn't, I quote unquote, abandoning lesbians. This is what she said recently, um, and I quote her here, or him, he, I want to share with you that I am trans. My pronouns are he, they, that's confusing, he, they, 
and my name is Elliot. I feel lucky to be writing this, to be here, to have arrived at this place in my life. Now, you ask any young person, they know who this um, Elliot, Ellen, Elliot Page is. So, of course, celebrities are celebrated because they're seen as normalizing these otherwise taboo subjects. So now we've got unaccountable strangers happily giving sexual identity guidance to our young girls who are sitting on the internet for hours on end. So just to kind of sum up, I feel like I've thrown a lot of information at you, and this is obviously going to be developing over the next couple of episodes. So certainly come back. I'm trying to just present you know, I guess a story and narrative um, through this book. And a lot of this is literally completely taken from Abigail Shrye's book. But you can see here a combination of social media saturation, uh, rising rates of anxiety and depression, a desire in young girls for affirmation, feeling the discomfort of an already changing body. Um, They're being brought up to um, you know, to be comfort, discomfort adverse, risk adverse, wanting to be safe. They're feeling lonelier than ever. And now they've got celebrities who are being celebrated and adored for coming out. And all of this has fallen or is falling together like dry kindling, just waiting for a spark and a fire. So I hope that you've been able to take that in. So that was covering um, the first part, the intro and chapter one, the contagion and the girls. And if you're reading along with us, try and get through, if you can, her chapters are pretty long, but try and get through the next three chapters. Um, It's not too late to join my Facebook page where I'm also adding, you know, we are able to discuss things with one another. And I'm also adding in extra articles and videos and interviews. Um, But next week, we're going to go down the line of looking at um, the influences, the people that are influencing our young girls when it comes to this gender ideology and also what's happening in our schools. So make sure you come and join us there. Thank you so much for joining me on a really, really heavy topic. And you're most welcome to come and, you know, DM me or particularly if you want to chat about this, um, come along and do it on my Facebook page uh, where we can have lengthier lengthier discussions because I'd love to know what you thought about all of that today. Anyway, uh, go and do some Christmas shopping because that is certainly what I'll be doing this week. And um, I really look forward to being back with you next week. So I'll see you then. Bye. Make sure you come and find me on social media, girlnextdoor.podcast.